0: OTB AM. Setting you up for the day ahead. Luton is an easy <laughs> is an easy name to say. This is what was just happening in the studio here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I know people who have flown into Luton.
1: OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 730 on the OTB Sports app. Now you're very welcome, Max. So we are gonna to turn to the weekends GA in a moment with Colin Boyle. Uh, before we do that and get into the nuts and bolts of the action, we do want to acknowledge and sum up the wider context surrounding the Ulster final. So a certain queasiness on our part, because on the one hand, this is a deeply private, deeply distressing family matter with young children involved, and we're acutely aware of that. On the other hand, it has now become very much a public matter with several strands. So as things stand, Rory Gallagher, in so much as we can ascertain, is still the Derry football manager. In his own words on Friday, he was standing back as opposed to standing down from proceedings yesterday. All of this, of course, is in light of the allegations made by his ex-wife, Nicola Gallagher, on Facebook last week. So a couple of things. Nicola Gallagher, on the back of her Facebook post, spoke to the Sunday Independent yesterday. Now, in the interview, She largely reflected on the week that was, as opposed to expanding on the allegations against her husband. So she talked about her nervousness ahead of posting on Facebook. She said she was humbled by the response, overwhelmed by the support. She said, for instance, I feel so heartened by the response because I'm not the type of person who likes any kind of attention. I'm naturally quite a shy person. I don't use social media. The last time I used Facebook was three or four years ago. She uh, talked at length as well about her upset at being away from her children currently. She said, sometimes I feel like they're not mine anymore, that I've been cut out of their lives. I reared those children when he was off being a superstar with the GAA. For them to be taken away from me really hurts every day without them, breaks me. And she says that her issues with alcohol, which she added she has uh, been addressing and has have addressed that they have been weaponized against her and she felt, uh, on the whole, compelled to speak out publicly. And she said, in her words, that this was her last resort. Uh, Rory Gallagher, for his part, made a statement last week through his legal team. So in that statement, he never engaged uh, specifically with his ex-wife's allegations, did not confirm or deny. Uh, He called them, quote, serious allegations. He said the allegations against him have been investigated and dealt with and he has said he has been uh, granted a full residence order in respect of their three children and that he would be making no further comment. As for the authorities, the PSNI confirmed it had investigated the allegations against Rory Gallagher and that last year in January of 22 and in June of 22, files were passed to the PPS, which is the northern equivalent of the DPP here in the Republic, and it was deemed that there was insufficient evidence to proceed. Now, just to address a newsworthy aspect of Nicola Gallagher's interview in the Sunday Independent yesterday, uh, her father, Jerry Rooney, uh, sent an email which was seen by the Sunday Independent to Derry County Board on the 25th of May last year, outlining his daughter's alleged abuse. And as the piece um, said yesterday, he received no reply from Derry County Board. The Sunday Independent contacted the County Board for clarity on this specific issue. No clarity was forthcoming uh, yesterday. So to that end, as things stood yesterday, we didn't know who had seen the email in Derry. We didn't know if there were protocol in place or if there was a degree of being caught on the hop. We didn't know how it was handled. Uh, We didn't know the Derry County Board's rationale was in sticking by uh, Rory Gallagher. Uh, We didn't know if they had discussed the situation. And indeed, uh, Joe Brawley in his column yesterday talked about being in touch with several board members yesterday morning, he he wrote, who are equally enraged. He had said he was enraged himself. Uh, So they said they were equally enraged. They had no idea this had been done, as in the email had not been uh, responded to uh, or discussed. And he said they were unaware the board members to Joe Brawley, unaware of the allegations until they read Nicola's anguished uh, Facebook posts last week. So uh, as of this evening then, Derry GEA have commented on the situation. They say, I quote their press release, it was reported in the weekend media that Derry GEA did not respond to an email relating to these allegations, which was reportedly sent on May 25th of 2022. We have rigorously checked our email system. We have no record of receiving any such email then or at any time subsequent to that. We have not been able to verify the address the email was sent to, but we believe it may have been sent to a defunct administrator address. Derry GEA was unaware of these allegations until they emerged last week. So that is the Derry GEA response today. clearing up or or giving their side of the um, email part of the Sunday Independent uh, interview with the Gallagher family yesterday, Nicola Gallagher's uh, father. Uh, As to what happens uh, over the next couple of weeks, remains to be seen. Incredibly difficult situation, deeply private and now also uh, very public. Uh, So that is the latest on uh, Rory Gallagher, Nicola Gallagher and the Derry uh, County Board. Earlier on, We chatted about the football with Colin Boyle, so we'll play that now. Gaelic Football. On, off the ball. With AIB. Proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest
0: for more.
1: So to the uh, football over the weekend that was at Clonis Derry, our back-to-back Ulster champions won 15 to Armas 18 points after extra time and Derry were 3-1 winners on penalties still very strange to say that kind of a sentence but 3-1 winners on penalties uh, meanwhile Kerry and Galway won their provincial finals by 14 points each the Dubs up the ante 13 Leinster titles in a row beating Loud by 21 points 521 to 15 points at Crow Park Yesterday, very happy to say, four-time All Star with Mayo, Colin Boyle is on the line. Good evening,
0: Joe. How are you doing?
1: Uh, talk about a contrast. We have Dublin in the last uh, boring days of pre-season, bit of a trot, and then we have Derry and Armagh living and dying by every bouncing ball. Yesterday,
0: yeah, such a contrast, Joe. Um, I suppose one out of four isn't bad, maybe <laughs> to get that competitiveness. <laughs> but not uh... great. No, it's it's not great, no. We'll probably talk about a bit more about that again, but I suppose from, from just a, an entertainment point of view, it was great to get something that we could cling on to and get a small bit excited about. I didn't think it was a brilliant game, and we'll probably come to that a, a bit more as well, but any day you get a bit of... Extra time, drama, and then obviously the drama that comes to Pin Dishoodos. So You'll take that any day of the week considering what we what we had to watch in Dublin Low, and then obviously the weekend before as well.
1: So when you say not a brilliant game, clearly there was lots mm. of drama and entertainment. You're talking mm. about the quality? Yeah, certainly, yeah.
0: Uh the quality, just the way it played out. I think I think the first half especially I thought Joe was well, was drab enough. I think it was very similar. Set up to what we saw in the Ulster final last year with Derry and Donegal a lot of slow build up attacks, a lot of long bouts of phases of possession. And I think Derry win the throwing, Joe, and they hold the ball for something like four minutes before they get a shot away from Shane McGuigan. They get a score from that. And that was almost a signal of what was to come for the rest of the half. I was very surprised with Armagh that they allowed, considering they had the wind at their backs, that they allowed Derry really to just be really comfortable to hold the ball for them long both possession. And the most surprising aspect was me that they were allowing Derry have possession from their own kickouts. I think it took to about 30 minutes into the game before they actually pushed up on a Derry kickout. And then they won two quick ones in a row and got two scores from that. So... You know, I think when our man looked back on that, even if that was what they were set up to do before the game, I think they needed to look at the conditions. They needed to look at having the wind in the first half and being a bit braver and attacking Derry. I think they let Derry settle into the game very, very easy. And I think they only turned over twi- Derry twice in that first half, Joe. I and mean, you consider and they'd up on Derry, it up on seventy percent position possession, the amount of times and chances you have there to make tackles and turnovers and get in their faces, and they never really did it. So I felt that's why the first half was was drab enough second half got a bit better I think both teams came out a bit and you know kind of went at it a small bit worn there was really good bouts of play in that second half and from there on in but yeah look it's very hard to be critical of a game like that when you do get that excitement like I spoke about at the end because we were um, we were all dying for it after what we'd witnessed in in the other three
1: What is the Arma logic do you think in the first half?
0: It's very hard to know. Like, it's just like it's a game of containment. Like, we're just going to play cat and mouse in here and try and try and seek him with a straight Derry. But Derry are very, very, very comfortable in that environment. And they've probably become one of the best teams in the country at just holding the ball and playing it around until until they work a scoring opportunity. Another strange aspect for me is that Brendan Rodgers didn't look like he, like from the TV, it was very hard to know who was actually meant to be picking him up. You know, and obviously Kieran Macken gets put on him towards the end of the first half, but he done a lot of damage in that in that regards by, by by hitting one too. So there was a couple of things from Armagh that I'd look at as why they didn't attack the game a bit more because Armagh are brilliant at attacking opposition kickouts and winning the ball from there and, and, and getting scores off from there. And to sit off them like they did in the first half, I just felt it gave Derry a platform especially. Like to me, if, if Armagh played the last five minutes of the first half, if they played that for the whole first half, they could have actually gone in four or five in front at half halftime.
1: There does, at times, in Ulster football in particular and in finals in particular over the last couple of years, seem to be that policy that you're not so sure about of just staying in the game. Just like, you know, once yeah. we're within a point or two, let's not push it. And even on Derry's part, it's like, uh, we're, you know, we're back to, you know, one point, let's push it again and then put the handbrake up again. It's it's almost as if, in a way, they're both waiting for the last 15 minutes and then maybe we'll go for it. But but there's no need to take any risks whatsoever and try and win a game early.
0: Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, especially when you get to a final, because if you look at throw Monaghan for example earlier on in the year and even Derry Derry against Monaghan they had a lot of strong uh, elements of both teams really just going for it and attacking each other and attacking the game and and but it comes to the final then very similar like I mentioned to the Ulster final last year Derry, Donegal were just so so cagey and it's almost like no one wants to make a mistake and you mentioned it there just stay in the game stay in the game don't give the opposition and we'll try and win this in the last 10 minutes rather than going after it early like I feel Armagh could have yesterday with that wind at the back especially.
1: How damaging is this one for Maghini who has been there now for nine years never won silverware Mm. there's a a fair chance you would think Armagh will exit the Championship quarterfinal uh, territory just feels like that's about where they are and so An Ulster title, which still has real credibility and real currency, an Ulster title, a first in 15 years, would have put such a sheen on the season and the direction in which they're going, whereas now it's yet another year of just bumping their head against that ceiling and not making the breakthrough in Ulster.
0: Yeah, I think they'll be good at today, Joe. I think they really will be. And you mentioned McGinley there, him especially. He knows he was under pressure. They needed that Ulster title more than Derry did yesterday. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I think how we look at, back on it, Joe, will all depend on how they do. Okay, yeah. So we're kind of saying, OK, it could be a, a quarter-final exit or something like that. If they do bounce back from this and go deep into the championship, get to a semi-final or even an Ireland final, which may be unlikely, but you just don't know how this championship's going to play out. Then we, you know, only then we might be able to have a proper look back at and you know, about what we think about losing Ulster final. But I think they'd be good at. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I think McGeeney needed to win that.
1: Yeah. I uh, listen. Semi final, final, all bets are off. It's a great season, hands down. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it'll just feel ah, uh, it, it could have been, it could have been, and so and they're just, so they yeah. so
0: close, Joe. When you look at mm. penalties again, there were then penalties of getting to a semi final last year against Derry. You know, and they could have well bet there in a the semi final last year. They get that. So look at it, such, such fine margins, which we know a top level sport, such, such fine margins. But yeah, they would be absolutely good at
1: The Brennan Rogers goal from the RMAP point of view mm. is an absolute uh, shocker. And Ethan Rafferty's two points were phenomenal. And they're almost uh, a bit like if Aidan O'Shea scores or Kieran Donnelly scores, they're almost worth one and a half points in terms of uh, morale. So two amazing scores. But to come off your line when the ball's dropping maybe 10-12 metres from goal and then to hesitate halfway through and then to back off I mean if you're coming keep coming and nobody got up with Rogers. it's a great finish in some ways like that's a difficult thing a ball coming down to get a fist to it Rogers never took his eye off the ball but in a game where there was only ever going to be a point yeah. or two maximum in it I, Armand never actually closed that gap that, you know that in, in some ways they were always chasing that until the very end
0: yeah, it was. it was. It was the critical, critical score of the game, really. And obviously it came at a stage where in the first 10 minutes of the game, Derry playing with the Breeze and that gave them a real platform, really, just to hold on for the rest of that half playing against the Breeze. And, you know, when you're watching that back, especially live, you're just watching referee come and you're just assuming because you can tell it's dropping short, it's dropping well short, that he's going to stop, he's going to stop. Mm. And eventually by the time he does stop, it's too late and he's way off his line. Armal will probably look at you know Brendan Rodgers should have been blocked out as well there's no way that he should have got a free run at that from where he was coming from as well there should have been an armad player coming to meet him and stopping that run in as well but such a mixed day for Raftery like as a goalkeeper ever had a mad day in an Ulster final two massive scores two wides at fault for the goal saves a penalty misses a penalty like <laughs> bizarre stuff
1: <laughs> it's changed since your day hasn't it
0: oh stop yeah yeah it's getting ridiculous now <laughs>
1: Extra time is going to haunt them as well. Arma one point against fourteen oh. men in extra time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's another thing I think they'll look at today for sure. That seven or eight minute periods, you know, just had a couple of more opportunities that they couldn't take. If they if they go in three up at half time, granted, Joe, they still are two up with three to go. You know, they do get themselves actually into a really strong position in the second half of extra time that they just let slip and they just let go. And there was, there was a big moment. The McGuigan free is a huge moment for me that levels it with about two minutes to go because Rean O'Neill, that just lost his composure, just lost his discipline. He fouls McGuigan. It's about 10 or 15 metres out from the 45. It's not within kicking range. And he gets into a bit of a wrestling match or grapple with them and David Goff brings it in and yeah. it's, it's within kick and range and it's a super by McGuigan but these are all the small things that add, add up Joe these are all the things they'll be looking at today and in the review during the week of how they let that game slip
1: No I'm glad you mentioned that that was a killer because the kick, yeah. kick was completely at range it was not on yeah. and at that stage it would have been very difficult for Derry to find the time to build a score and mm. a bit of wrestling and I thought look I Thought Goff was quick enough to move it forward as well. I think you'd be disappointed if you were O'Neill. You would have said, "Oh, come on, look, there's, there's that bit of handbags after most fells, no?"
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, at, I suppose you can if you're if you're Derry, you're probably wondering is the Stephen Campbell one a free as well? So maybe yeah. over the course. So I think Goff had a really good game yesterday, but I think both of them. I think you're right. Did O'Neill do a huge pile to get it moved in? I don't, I don't think he did, but yeah, maybe there was enough there. But I think the Stephen Campbell free that or the. Yeah sorry the free end yeah. that levels it at the end I think that's on the soft side as well for sure. Uh
1: you mentioned Campbell and and sorry I didn't get the memo we all call him Soupy now do we? Is this just uh I I I he's still Stephen Campbell to me oh, I can't I can't shake that yet if, but if
0: um, you're if you're, you're Cannon and Marty Marcy maybe yeah okay. so, so Soupy <laughs> it is
1: in fairness he like he would run with the ball and he took the game to Derry a bit more. And you did look at him mm. and say a little bit more of that because he was making inroads, you know, someone coming at you with a bit of pace and a bit of incisiveness goes a long way.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one that they held him to come on. I thought he was one of Armagh's best players last year, to be honest. I thought he was superb, had a brilliant league. So I don't know, was there an injury there or something? But his directness, the score he kicks off his left jaw he just comes through the middle, breaks a line attacks that Derry defence and, and kicks it over to his left, left foot it's probably one of the best scorers of the game and it's something really Armand were lack, lacking an awful lot in the game so yeah I think they'll look back to see if he was there in the first half and could he have brought that energy to the game in the first half when they had the breeze as well you know so yeah it's an interesting one but he's a really really good player Joe yeah
1: On the quality point so I totally see where you're coming from with respect to man maybe not taking the game enough to Derry but I still thought within the game the handling skills in the main I, I, I saw them criticised a touch maybe it was in the Sunday game last night I still thought there was a high level of skill thought a lot of the kicking was good you'd think of McGuigan's free to level it which we've just mentioned I mean that's still a pressure kick and he sails it over and some of his passing some of McGuigan's passing foot passing was a joy to behold Reen O'Neill a kick under pressure to take the game to penalties mm. uh, delivers and I have to say when Derry were chasing the game and clock right against them it's one thing keeping possession in the first three minutes of the game and working a score mm. I like they do they did not kick that ball in like it was composure and possession, and we are gonna work a score right at the death when they were um behind and that's like a lot of very impressive aspects here to the coaching that's going on
0: oh yeah, for sure and so there were some really good aspects in that. I suppose when I look at the quality of it, if I'm looking at that game, would that game win a as an Ireland semi-final would that type of form? I don't think it would right. I think a, a Kerry or a Dublin or someone would look after Derry or Armagh playing that style of play and playing that quality that was played yesterday. granted I know it's an Ulster final and when two teams like that play each other it almost takes on a life of its own and the way both teams set up and, and play against each other but yeah of course there was a really good aspects, and I think certainly from half time on yeah. things proved dramatically in that regards and there were some super scores as you mentioned but i think overall i wouldn't say it was a it was a hugely you know quality entertaining game in terms of quality
1: and how would you see like a Kerry or a dublin for instance taking care of business against armagh or or Derry, like pretty comfortably and would would dominate possession or would uh, score freely yeah. or would be able to stop them from scoring like where is the gap
0: I don't I don't think Kerry, if you look at Kerry and if you look at Dublin, one thing they're really good at is pushing up on opposition kickouts and trying to put you under pressure. So I think that's one spot straight away. There's no way they ought to be letting Owen Lynch clip out short kickouts and Derry to hold the ball for three or four minutes. And I think that alone puts you under pressure because it doesn't give you a platform to start easy attacks from the back. So I think that's one aspect. I think, you know, so much more attack and threats from both Dublin and Kerry look after them. maybe what Ar- both teams had to face yesterday so I think there's a couple of things a couple of things there that the bigger teams I think may be able to face or deal with a lot better later on in the championship
1: So Derry with 70% possession in the first half you put that very much at the door of Armagh as opposed to Derry are so good in possession
0: Oh yeah Joe. like they were I, th- I think it came up on the TV at one stage the top three boys in possession after about 25-30 20, tw- minutes were Niamh Cluster and Oren Lynch you know, your goalkeeper and your corner back. they had over 20 possessions each because literally they're they're strolling out of fence with the ball. I don't know how many, many times Oren Lynch actually got the ball and he could take solo standing up, you know, and just hand-passed across to someone else. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's why I just couldn't understand why I just weren't bringing a bit more chaos to it, you know, and putting them under pressure because Derry are so, so comfortable in that scenario. But what you saw last year with... Galway in the semi-final especially Mm. with Dublin in the league final when you don't allow them that time to build up slow attacks and you don't give them ample opportunity to do that then they do you know they can be got at I think the evidence is there on that
1: yeah no that's a great point would Maguini have felt perhaps we mightn't be able to press them sufficiently and they'll beat the press and we'll be exposed for goals and let's just keep this tight as a final is that what he's thinking?
0: Yeah there is a bit of that in it I suppose and if you look at the way Mon- or sorry Derry ran through Monaghan in particular you know maybe he looked at that and that kind of spooked him a small bit but uh, like I think Armagh are a better team than Monaghan or in a better place than Monaghan um and have more areas where they could have hurt Derry if they really attacked them and you know shown a bit more shown you know, I, I suppose it's hard to say but showed a bit more ambition
1: yeah bravery to go
0: after the game bravery yeah rather than just Stay in the game, stay yes. in the game. I think they, I think if they went at Derry from the start, they could, like I said earlier on, with that breeze at the back, they could have been four or five up at halftime.
1: And you think that's where the game is at now, with, with your point about Derry having legs to run through like they did against uh, Monaghan, notwithstanding. Mm. The game for you at the real top level in Crow Park, when we get to the business end, it's pressure high up the pitch.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When it comes to it later on down the line, you watch a, D- a Dublin, you watch a Kerry, you watch a Mayo if they're there you watch how high they'll press up on opposition hmm. and put them under pressure. Don't let them build build attacks. And I think that's what the likes of the dairy will might come unstuck further down the line.
1: Okay. So I'm imagining uh, the likes of Kerry and uh, even Mayo and Dublin and Galway, like they're hmm. just waking up, they're having a stretch in bed, they're nice and relaxed and uh, the likes of Armagh and Derry are bloodied and battered and uh, yeah. they're coming in from a long workout. And, and and Lord knows where Tyrone are. Of the Ulster counties, if your life depended on it in the morning, in a big game at Crow Park, who are you sending out to take on Dublin or Kerry and, and save your life?
0: I'd probably say Tyrone, Joe. And I know Paul Flynn said something last night similar in the Sunday game. I I, I think it's Tyrone. If you look at Derry um, against Dublin this year in the in the league final, that's pretty much how they're going to set up against Derry or against Dublin later on in the championship. And you saw how easy Dublin, you know, four goals, okay, granted it's 4-6, but I think Dublin will be a completely different team later on in the championship. i still put my hat in the just because they've been there and done that in late stages of the championships. If they get themselves together, which I think they have to be fair, you know, I think they still are a threat. I think of all the Ulster teams there at the minute. And it'll be very, very interesting, Joe, if it does happen to be them, if, if Derry fell off a cliff and if Armagh fell off a cliff, and it was throwing the push tire for an Ireland final. Then it just completely throws. Not that it hasn't done already, but the provincial champions almost out the window. Mm. So
1: twenty-one point winning margin for Dublin against mm. Louth. I I don't, I, don't, I don't really know what to say like what,
0: yeah. what is, is there any point in going there you,
1: you tell me so you, you put yourself back in the in the mayo camp and you watch that you sit down to watch that leinster football final and i'm sure you might keep a close eye on the man you're likely to be marking down the line uh for for little gives and tells and, and tendencies but that aside in broad terms what would you take away from dublin's performance
0: uh just that bit of routine i'd say up front uh, and the fact that they really are looking to to pull the trigger and go for goals, I think that's very obvious. And I know I mentioned this a while ago, Joe, about this, this that. this dates case.
1: back to Derry away, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I keep mentioning it, Joe, but they they do seem like they're racking up the goals since then. You know, yeah. four against Derry in the in the league final, five the first day out against Leash. Okay, granted they don't get one against Kildare, but five again yesterday. So there has to be something in it for me. You know, I'll be interested as this pattern continue, but i I'd probably take that. The fact that they're probably kicking the small the ball a small bit more. Granted, they're getting loads of time on the ball and loads of opportunities to do that, but O'Connell looks sharp to me again. You know, Conor Coslow's moving well. I mentioned a while back too, about Brian Howard, you know, what's kind of happened to him. You know, good to see him back in the squad. And I think you're looking at that, that Dublin team yesterday, the only one they're really missing that you say might come back in there from a starting point of view if everyone is fit is Michael Fitzsimons. Okay. So I think overall, if you're looking for Dublin, you think, yeah, they're, they're, they're looking pretty good.
1: How does uh, Jack McCaffrey look to your eye, Colin?
0: I, I thought he looked really good until he went off. Like a couple of times, he broke the line in the first half. Did he, did he kick two scores in that first half? I think he did. When he breaks the ball, like he's probably the one player still, you know, if he comes onto a ball 50, 60 yards out, it's a goal chance because he's just electric. He'd just break a line. The probably one worrying aspect you've had, if you're if you're Desi Farrell, I don't know why he went off yesterday. I presume it was a, a precautionary, you know, he came back, I think, against Cork in the in the league and we didn't see him for a few weeks, you know. He got injured again. He's not been able to sustain a period of time where he's getting a run of games together. And that may be a concern for Desi Farr with just the amount of games that's coming up down the line. But yeah, it's an interesting one. But I think when he plays, he, he looks really good, to be fair. Uh,
1: loud. in fairness, I mean, it's a strange thing to say perhaps after 21 point defeat they certainly did not disgrace themselves and had a very good start to the game and it wasn't you know uh, uh, Dublin absorbed it more than uh, quashed it and the goal happened and then Dublin did seem to go into overdrive and Mickey Hart said afterwards you know let's not let this ruin our season so they go into the All-Ireland series now it was very striking reading a piece yesterday in the Sunday Independent Dermot Crow had uh, gone behind the scenes in a bid to figure out what's Mickey Art done here, you know? And he chatted to Peter Fitzpatrick, the chairman, and various other uh, people around the camp. And it's amazing, like, the low hanging fruit that still exists when it comes to high performance, even at inter-county level. Like, I think at times on the outside, we might be exaggerating just how well things are being done in lots of counties. So just to give you an example of things heart-changed. Small things like trainings at half seven Mickey Hart there at three o'clock was one of the points he makes sure uh, you know previously at the centre of excellence the lights were switched on for training maybe 15 minutes before but now they're on 90 minutes before he wants the place illuminated and alive for players arriving they knock down an internal wall to make a, a dining area because they want to improve nutrition dramatically uh, fitness now run by Kieran Solon that now runs 12 months a year so players still meet up to do supervised weekly sessions when the season is over and I mean again as to uh, the extent to which it changes anything uh, Hart observed that the training field was very exposed to the elements so akin to what he did up in Tyrone he got a bunch of trees planted either end of the pitch to stop the wind coming in as much the point was made about his aura and so there was plenty of time over previous years it was said in the piece where there might be 12 players are training on a given night maybe 16 the Thursday back to 12 on a Tuesday whereas with Hart there everybody is there and they're there early so it's all very admirable and it's you know it, it's to mm. his credit but at the same time it doesn't sound like things were uh, they weren't shooting the lights out previous to that then
0: Oh, yeah, well look at all these things make a difference, Joe, of course, just general standards and yeah. trying to create that high performance environment that Mickey Hart would have been so used to, obviously, in Tyrone with his, with his huge experience and Garrett, uh, Garrett, uh, Gavin Devlin as well. So, yeah, these things matter, of course. And But look at the gap that's there is just to a likes so of what Dublin 4 allowed, like where allowed to have come from, you said it, they were Division 4 mm. when Mickey Hart took them over you know, they're jumping through the divisions, like the danger then when you when you jump through the divisions and you, you get a couple of wins in the championship that you just come up against. And Sligo experienced this as well in the kind of final and obviously Clare in the monster final. You, the, your reward as a weaker county, if you do get to provincial final, is just to meet one of the big boys and get an absolute clipping, yeah. you know. But the big thing for Loud is how they can respond to this, you know, because they've got a tough enough group in Kerry, Mayo and, and Cork, you know what I mean? So... If they were to take a couple of beatings in that as well, look, they'll fancy their chances against Cork, absolutely. But Kerry and Mayo are obviously two big ones for them as well. But yeah. you know, if if they can, you know, get a win in there against Louth and two de- or against Cork and two decent performances, I think Mickey Hart looked back at a at a fairly good year and finishing third in Division Two and fairness Joe is a huge, huge inchu- uh, achievement from where they came from.
1: No, it's brilliant and it's to his credit and, and the players' yeah. credit. Again, I, I just wonder if we've maybe hyped up how much work is being done in lots of counties around the country. I read that and I thought none of this is, you know, why wasn't this being done 10 years ago? None of this is way yeah. out of the curve. It's actually quite basic. And it was funny, Pat Gilroy spoke to Malachy Clerkin over the weekend in the Irish Times, and uh, so he's in helping out with Desi a bit now. And he was saying, man, like, you thought when I was in charge of Dublin that we were pushing the envelope. He's like, it's yeah. a different country now in terms of fitness and commitment. And he was saying the relevance uh, to the conversation we were we were just having. He was saying that Dublin always knew against most of the counties or a lot of the counties that they were fitter than them. And so even if they're putting it up to us, we know with 10, 15 minutes to go, we'll run out yeah. comfortable winners. And you kind of think, well, what's going on in these other counties half the time? Why why aren't they raising standards? Like, There's a lot more that can be done. And again, we might just uh, overestimate how well lots of counties are preparing.
0: I, and I'd say that's physically it, Joe, until you... Fiz- until you you go into a setup and you dig deep into it and you see lads habits away from the training field even you know maybe that's a lot to do with it as well why the the uh, the, the fitness or the whatever isn't there to compete but look you saw the gap Joe that's there it's just yeah. by by unfortunate by putting the lights on on the training ground or doing a couple of small things as mentioned there that's not going to close the gap on the likes of Dublin because they are streets and light years ahead of that unfortunately mm. so yeah but look you have to start somewhere you have to start somewhere everyone needs to start somewhere and for loud like I said they're still, you know, are, are are going places. It's other counties, I suppose, in Leinster. And you'd look at the likes of maybe Meath and maybe certain Stinkledare and Leash and these boys. Why why haven't they progressed over the years? What kind of structures do they have? Or what kind of, you know, is there such a thing as a high performance set up in, in them counties? You'd probably question that as well.
1: Yeah. A last one, and sorry to put you on the spot. When you think mm. of the start of your career versus the end and high performance, What's the most glaring example of something that you weren't doing or, or were doing? Maybe you were um, on the lash every weekend. I don't know. What, what's the <laughs> biggest change in terms of high performance that would have happened, say, in the Mayo camp, say, from when, when you went in yep. to the end? Was it, was it the weight training? Was it the aerobic training? Was it diet? What was the big, like, oh, my God, I can't believe we used to do that when I first started playing for Mayo?
0: I, I'll give you one very basic example, Joe. My first year in May of 2008, I, I still remember we got, like, string tested or your, your SNC tested in, like, late November 2007. And we received a program maybe about a week later, and that's the last we ever heard anything about the program. There was no mention of it for the rest of the year. There was no group gym sessions. There was no nothing. Uh, and it was basically forgotten about. And if you were doing it, you were doing it. If you weren't, you weren't. There was never a mention of it. You fast-forward that, uh, you know... The way we finished up with Mayo, the way most, I presume every county is now where you have your, it's basically part of your weekly routine, your two two or three gym sessions or S&C. And so a lot of the time it's actually built into your training session as well. So you might have a training session on a Tuesday night and you're on the pitch for an hour and you're up in the gym for the last half an hour of that session. You know, that's kind of the difference of where it's gone to on a basic level, I suppose.
1: Right. Okay. And individually tailored.
0: Of course, yeah, and, that, and that's the big thing about it. That programme we all received back in 2008 was the same programme for everyone else. You know, okay. everyone was doing the same exercises where they were, regardless of where they were at they were in their development or if they were able to do them or not and regards, you know, where it went after that, where it was all, as you said, individualised. Yeah, different, different level.
1: Mm, interesting. Uh, great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Cheers. Colin Boyle with us there, a four-time All-Star winner with Mayo Gaelic Football on Off The Ball is in partnership as well with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship and you can check out hashtag the toughest for more Gaelic Football on Off The Ball with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship check out
0: hashtag the toughest for more